Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. man show we're here the guy i've known for a long time since he stayed reverend jeff carr you know him in nashville he's a great man reverend jeff good to see you again on the zoom front but hope to see you in person again real soon as well reverend jeff good to see you man good to be here brother boss man jr good to have you man got my homeboy in the house we got the boss man show in the house and we're representing for the city of nashville state of tennessee i'm, I'm honored to be here with you and looking forward to a great conversation now, Reverend Jeff, tell us about the Philly Fellowship, which is right around the corner from my home in Nashville, what you all are doing there. And, and the, I love how you about, are spiritual. Did you teach people to know, not believe, but know really what it is that you believe in and what you are about? Tell us about what you preach and what you teach in your ministry at the Philly Fellowship on Not Turn Drive, right around the corner from where I'm at right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're right here at 641 West Nocturne Drive in a historic house that was uh, built in the late 50s by a black doctor and his wife, Horace Marion Frazier. Horace Marion Frazier, of course, uh, 35 years old, came to Nashville, Tennessee to be the head of pathology at Meharry Medical College, uh, started the, helped start the Matthew Walker Health Center, an institution that's long looked out for black folk. House fell into a couple of different hands and eventually we got hold of it in 2017 and transformed it into the Infinity Center. And that's where we're, that's where I'm talking to you from, uh, right over on the Northeast side in Nashville. The Infinity Fellowship began in 2014. And this month, October, is our seventh year of existence. Uh, we put together what's called an interspiritual fellowship. And we use the word interspiritual, we wanna make sure that we define what that is. The word itself, uh, didn't start appearing until the early 90s. And I think it was a Catholic monk who talked about being interspiritual. And basically what it meant was, if you can look at all the different religious traditions uh, and look at their core principles, what they believe about God, what do they say about how we treat each other, you'll find that although there may be different names that we assign to that God of our perception, based on everything from our geography to our culture, to our background, to how we were raised, that energy is known as the same thing. We all commit to that same energy. We all have the same divine light. So interspirituality is looking at the core principles that all religions have in common and just focusing on the core principles and not the names. I found that when you focus on the names, that's when people get divided. That's when they fight. Uh, and especially people of color because we've been given so many different names to call on God by that we end up uh, posseing up, if you will, and using that as another tool to divide us. So when I was traveling my spiritual journey through Christianity and, mis and, and uh, studying Islam and studying ancient wisdom and studying ancient religions, all of those things added up to me as commonality. Uh, 
as that added up as commonality, I found that I didn't fit anywhere else because everywhere else I was going, they were saying, this is the one true path and everybody else is wrong and they're going to be condemned. So that created within me a space of solitude. So I had my teachings, I had my wisdom, I was having my family in order, everything was great, but I didn't have a sense of community. So Infinity Fellowship grew out of a space of wanting to give a community to people who would consider themselves more spiritual than necessary religious. So therefore anybody from any religious background or faith is welcome in this space. And we focus around the energy of the law of attraction, uh, which is basically summarized as your vibe attracts your tribe. And whatever you put out into the universe, that's the kind of like energy that you will attract. Uh, it was a radical concept because we are in the Bible Belt in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, yes. So we have uh, probably 2,000 plus churches alone uh, of all kinds of denominations, uh, not to mention international religions and the many people who have come here. So it was a radical concept when we started it. Uh, and when people use the term interspirituality, most of the time it's an individual term. And that's just where people, you ask them, what are you? Uh, well, I'm not anything particular. I just... You know, I love God. I love my human beings. I want to give. I, that's who I am. I don't know if I necessarily put a name on it. But then where do you find community? And that's what the field of interspirituality has always struggled with over the last 30 years. And that is, how do you create a functional model where that is happening, where it's not just people philosophizing? That's what Infinity stepped into the gap and brought to the conversation. And because of that, uh, we've grown exponentially over the years. Uh, we started with three people who got the concept. Uh, we've grown now to over 150 people, including families. Uh, we've got viewers, uh, people who tune in online now because of COVID, everywhere from uh, Rwanda to London to Belgium, Latvia, the Bahamas, the East and the West Coast. So we've really found that there are people who are out there who are really into spiritual principles and spiritual practices that bear fruit in their lives and they look for a place where they can put that into social action. And that place is, is the Infinity Fellowship. So it's a place for all where we take action on our dreams. And we found that we match the growing number of people in the Pew studies that are proclaiming that they are necessarily religious, but they are very spiritual, but they like a place to call community. And, and that's what the Infinity Fellowship is. And Reverend Jeff, what I like about how, what you all teach is the fact that you're real. It's not this uh, prosperity, you know, all this kind of teaching. It's real. It cuts into the hearts, trains of you, and gets you to really think about it, how I am as an individual. And your online services are wonderful to watch. Thank you, brother. And, and you know, it's good for people to hear that from a, a Black man telling them, that all Black preachers are rooted in, 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 in the denomination. Sure. You're rooted sure. in finding your place, your spirituality, and being one in that, having a community of people who can be involved with that. That's why I love your concept because, you know, the church house is a, is a business. We all know that. But mm -hmm. sometimes the business gets in front of the, the part that's so important, the spirituality part and the sure. community. So sure. with your Defense Fellowship, it's a community. That's what's about the business. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's, and that's important because, you know, as you said, when you think of ministry as a profession, it's it's a good profession these days uh, because of all the hell that you face in society. Uh, and when what's particularly effective of people who are oppressed is uh, they look for some reward. They look for some justice. 
And with Western theology, with that particular paradigm, you end up finding justice, but you find justice when you die. Uh, and you are assured that you're going to get a seat in heaven and that everybody that oppressed you and punished you is going to be burning in hell. Uh, that puts what you achieve far in the future. Uh, that makes it so that you live this life uh, and you live this life to suffer so that you can be then successful in the next life. And if you want to believe that, that's great. Uh, I won't attack that belief system. But again, belief is what exists in the absence of provable fact. So when you can't prove something, you can always say, I believe it. And oftentimes when you deal with somebody who believes something, they're not willing to listen to any facts. So when you find people who believe that we're just here on this earth to suffer, that this life is worthless and the real life is the afterlife and eternity, I, more power to you. I also know that when we talk about as above, so below as a concept, it's very much manifest uh, in what you see around you. How is it that other people are living a good life here? How is it that other nations can be successful? How is it that prior to the previous 500 years when we're talking about black folk, how is it that we built the pyramids back then? How much is it that, how, how, how is it that Mansa Musa accumulated so much wealth that he made gold worthless on the west coast of Africa when he made his pilgrimage to Mecca? We've been winning a long time in history and we've been doing well. So for us to accept the notion that we're, this life is worthless and somehow we're supposed to suffer while we see people, many of whom say they believe in the same precepts we believe in, that that are doing well and they're healthy and wealthy and building and growing businesses, it creates a state of psychological cognitive dissonance. So what I teach people here is uh, this life is a life of purpose. Everybody here is born for a reason. You're not an accident. Of the 400,000 machinations that it took for, you, for one sperm to meet an egg and for you to be fertilized, that's not by happenstance. You came here on a purpose, on a mission. Some people's mission is communication. Some people's mission is opening the doors so we can have these conversations. Some people's mission is building. Other people are historians. Other people are architects. I always encourage people to get in touch with your purpose and to understand that as a spiritual leader, I'm here to teach you how to walk in your divine purpose and to help you build community. But it is your responsibility to step up and do the work. And that robs you from being able to be a victim and say that it's the devil, it's the white man, it's evil people who hate me. No, it's your thinking. And yes. if you change your thought, you can change your world. Because throughout all of this, Harriet Tubman, I always point to her. She's a practitioner of the law of attraction. She's not supposed to be liberating people from slaves. She got hit in the head with a piece of lead when she was five years old. She had fits where she just fell asleep. Narcolepsy out of nowhere. Uh, she was a woman. She was frail. She was small. So all of these things were improbable. And yet still, in her mind, she saw herself as a liberator who lived on purpose. That's why so many people are free looking back. That same mentality is what exists in all of us. And that's why it's important for us to begin to start seeing things a little bit differently. And Reverend Jeff, let me ask you, with COVID, how have you been, have you been for you in the, in the church trying to get people to get vaccinated and understand that this is to help us, not hurt us? I know in a lot of different denominations, it's some pastors say don't get it because on the right wing, some black pastors just don't go in the Tuskegee experiment route and that discouraging it for their membership who 
have issues that could cause COVID could cause them to have a, a early perishing. So how did you approach it with your with your people, your ministry and your fellowship so they can get the vaccine and know it's good for them and know that you want to be healthy and really you have to be seen, not viewed. I know you probably have to do a lot of a lot of last rites, probably a lot of you know yes. uh, funerals and for people not listening. So how's it been for you and your your church right now? Sure, and and I've got I've got a last rites to go to tomorrow. Uh, my weekends have been full. This last eighteen months has been full of more funerals than I have attended or participated in in the last five years. So when I see what's happening with COVID and when I see what's happening with the health of our people, it's in real time and it's a real statistic. I'm not waiting for either CNN or Fox News to tell me what the stats are. I'm not dealing uh, with social media, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok and going into a space where I'm listening to someone who has no expertise in science tell me about a conspiracy theory. I'm seeing this play out in real time. The wonderful thing about Infinity being a groundbreaking new space is we decided to look at communally what was effective about our traditional church paradigm. Well, you had a place where people could be important. Uh, somebody who was a janitor during the week, he could be a deacon or a minister. Someone who was a maid or serving someone else during the week, they would be a church mother. It created a community where there were people who were important. They had instruction. They looked out for each other. Uh, many people, their first speech was in the church. Their first song was in the church. So those kind of things are good. There are also some negative elements that are in the church. Uh, sometimes people's first uh, experience with molestation or abuse happened in the church. Uh, other times their first space of being detached from a community and felt feeling ostracized happened in a church. So in Forming Infinity, we decided to put the best component pieces together and then leave all of the judgment and all of the ostracizing, leave that out of the paradigm. And so instead of a belief system, we came up with a core of agreements and spirit, spirit birthed a core of agreements because in our space, you're a grown up and you get to agree to some core principles. And one of our core principles that I'm most proud of uh, is in our creed. Uh, on our website, which is myif.org, that's myif.org, you can go and read the statement of infinitude. That space of infinitude, one of the paragraphs says very clearly as our creed, it is the application of ancient wisdom, scientific discovery, and spiritual practices, both physical and metaphysical, that will bring us closer together as a human family. That put us in a space where we don't have to separate religion or spirituality and science. As a matter of fact, we welcome it. The more you find out about yourself, the more you relate to an ancient wisdom teaching of uh, the Oracle at Delphi or the, uh, the Lodge at Karnak in Egypt or Luxor or Kemet that said, man, know thyself, you'll know the secrets of the universe. When you talk about knowing yourself, that is scientific. Ancient wisdom studies science. So it was very easy for me to tell people at Infinity, listen, we're going to follow the science on this thing because that's what we do. Just like we talk about uh, the wonders of the brain, we're going to talk about the wonders of the body. That has put me in a position where people come to me for different things. Some people have come and said, can you give me a religious exemption for this vaccine? And I say, no, I can't give you that. Well, why? Well, there's no religious text that I can tell you about. From the Bible to the Quran to the Bhagavad Gita to the Burt Perk M. Heru, there's no religious scripture that you have 
that I can give to you that will say, don't take a vaccine. It's just not there. Lately, some of the more right-wing sects have started to use the, uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, the last thing that I heard from some individuals, again, no denomination has, has come out against vaccines, but individuals have. Uh, they say, well, the uh, injection itself is a way of marking people. And the mark is the mark of the beast that's spoken of in Revelation. So I don't want to get it because of that. Again, if you want to believe that, that's great. I'm not going to attack you for it. But the reality is, as it relates to us, we have what's called asymptomatic carriage or asymptomatic transmission. And that means that you can decide not to get a vaccine. I got the vaccine. My wife and my son got the vaccine. My son, because he had a pre-existing condition of asthma, he actually caught COVID uh, about a month ago and got through it. Had he not had the vaccine, uh -huh. had he not had the vaccine, I most, I more than likely would have been standing over him, uh, viewing him as opposed to seeing him on his birthday yesterday. And so when, it, when I look at that, I say that even in that environment, the vaccine does not stop the transmission of the disease, but it prevents the most virulent strain from getting out. So we can be asymptomatic carriers and we go and we take that and we give it to somebody's grandmama who got diabetes, somebody's uncle who's got asthma. Our health disparities are so large that we cannot take for granted that everybody is as healthy as us. And so when I have these conversations with people, I say, listen, beyond the religious space, you tell me what makes common sense. Do you wanna be responsible for passing on something to somebody who is not as healthy as you, who is not as wise as you, who, who is not studied in the holistic sciences as you? And there has been pushback. Uh, it's been fortunate for me to be able to, to push back and get a little bit of understanding because from, from the younger crowd that, that tends to listen to the internet a lot, they say, well, Rev, you know, you're older. I, I, you know, I don't do vaccines. I don't even do the flu vaccine. And I say, neither do I. Well, I'm healthy. I don't get the flu. Uh, I don't either. Well, uh, I believe in holistic health. So do I. Well, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan. How long you been that? Oh, I've been at for two years. So my antibodies are strong. Well, uh, welcome to my life. I've been it for 31 years and I still got the vaccine. My logic in the end, and this is a crossroad that may, that maybe help, may help someone make a decision. The crossroads is, if I have, my, my logic was, if I have a strong immune system, which I do, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. If, if I have a strong immune system that I feel can battle off the disease, then my immune system will also battle off a small sample of the disease and a vaccine. So I'm safe either way. What we look at is the people who are most vulnerable in our community. And are we willing to step up to make sure that they survive? And that's the crossroads we stand at. And Reverend Jeff, I've asked for myself, my father, diabetes and blood pressure. So I got vaccinated. And, and, and I'm around NBA players in the NBA. We were going Kyrie Irving. That, that worries me. Yeah. You know? And, you know, for me, it's about I'd rather live my life. You know, I know where I came from and what I had overcome to get where I'm at today. Why do I want to give it away just about being ignorant? Like in, in Atlanta, you know what our governor, we was on clothes for three weeks. April 3rd, August 24th of last year was closed wow. in, in Atlanta. I know I know 
uh, Mary Cooper tried in Nashville, but Bill Lee does what Bill Lee does, right? So between Brian Kemp, Bill, Bill Lee, Tate Reeves, Greg Abbott, all these horrible governors we had, Ron DeSantis, and most of us, Reverend Jeff, are in this racist South. Sure. And sure. they don't care about black and brown bikes. They're, they're not having babies. They're okay if we're dying, dying, killing ourselves. Oh, so I feel like it's all those yeah. paradigm too, where, hey, well, we can let them kill themselves and it'll help us down the road anyway. Especially when you look at the governors that you listed and the people who are are promoting this conspiracy theory, all of them have something in common. They've all been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So how is it that the wealthy elite in white America is rushing to get the vaccine? How is it that a, a, a country like Canada has between 150 and 200 million extra doses stockpiled? How is it that the United States has doses stockpiled and yet we don't have five percent of africa inoculated if there is any ever conspiracy theory out there and i listen i was young once i had plenty of conspiracy theories i i read all of them i read behold the pale horse i read the new world order i looked at the dollar bill and saw the eye on the back all of that wonderful stuff i've, I've been there and i've done that I, i've seen the conspiracy theories, I've lived through many of them. I understand it's important. Uh, it helps you weave through myth and reality. But if there was ever a conspiracy theory against black people, would it be more, uh, uh, would it be more plausible that they would say, take a vaccine that's got something in it? Or would it be more plausible, plausible that they prevent you from getting a vaccine that could save your life because of your pre-existing conditions? Personally, I'm not playing into the hands of any system that discriminates against me that would make it so that I'm going to be six feet under in higher numbers than you will. And that's the real question. If, you, if there's a conspiracy, to me, it would be a brilliant conspiracy to convince us not to take it. Exactly. And Reverend Jeff, like last week, I'm working at Georgia, Georgia, Georgia Tech in the press box. I'm going to do it in the press box with a mask on as me. At wow. Georgia State, I only do it in the, in the press box with a mask on as me. Right, right. You know, at the Hawks uh, game Saturday night, it was male. Was very we had to wear a mask, mandatory. But we're in the media. We're around people. You just out in the press box, no mask on, looking at me like, like Jr. You, 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 why are you look so weird? I'm trying to protect myself. No, you're the one weird, not me. Right. Of course, you had to be confident in that. We go places. Uh, Governor Bill Lee. Uh, has a he's has an interesting way of defying Nashville simply because Nashville's a primarily and overwhelmingly seventy plus percent blue uh, Democrat Democrat county, so he has a a, a really passive aggressive almost directly aggressive way of defying Nashville. So when mass mandates were were lifted and the city tried to enforce them, say for instance downtown, Governor Bill Lee did an entire promo where he said, I, anybody wants to go to uh, Nashville, I'm reserving $2 million and we're gonna buy you a plane ticket. The whole state of Tennessee is fully open. He's doing a promo of him down on lower Broadway in Nashville with no mask on, buying cowboy boots, sitting in bars, talking to people, telling people, hey, come on through, everything is open. Flooding tourists into Nashville, Tennessee. So even if the population is vaccinated, many of the people who come here, JR, you know, if you take a drive downtown, you see the transformation and change. Many of the thousands of people who come here, they do not care. 
They come from spaces where they didn't want to wear a mask anyway. They didn't want to get a vaccine in the first place. They're committed not to, and they feel as if if they're coming into a state where there's no mask mandate, they're not going to wear it, even when there was a mask mandate. So you go downtown right now, it's Friday, and the liquor is flowing, the masks are off, and you feel uncomfortable when you are wearing yours. That's why it's important for us to, even in this stage right now, as we go into the cold months, we need to make sure that we don't feel uncomfortable when protecting ourselves, that we see that mask as a sheet of armor to make sure that we're protecting ourselves and our communities for the long term. I had on my goggles, too, Reverend Jeff, and my gloves. I wasn't playing with that. You went on with <laughs> I had my goggles, my my, my black K95 mask, and my, my black gloves on. They looked at me like, what's wrong with him? Hey, what's wrong with you? Yeah, you know, you know that I'd rather them say what's wrong with me now than than a doctor look down on me and say what's wrong with him. Exactly. I got to come on for you, Reverend Jeff. Was this? I was over. Talk, talk about Tennessee State. I know you was the president, the body president there, at Tennessee State, and sure. I went there from '05 to '09. Got my master's in 2011 at Avon Williams campus. So tell me about how Tennessee State took over UTN, how you all beat that back when they wanted to have UTN right downtown in the same city as Tennessee State, try to dilute Tennessee State. Tell us about how you all back in, back when you was there going there, fought against that, for that campus we have on everybody women's campus down there, and now, now in the Gulch, they call it now. <laughs> you know, how you to have right. that the way it is now. Yeah, who, who would have thought it, man? It, the prime property downtown right there at Tennessee State University. There's a long history going back to the late 70s and early 80s of a dual system of higher education in Nashville. Uh, and UT, as you know, is just this 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 mammoth, right? It's this mammoth beast, and it's it's a massive campus in in Knoxville that we know we're, we're uh, very familiar with the Volunteers. Uh, when you think about uh, UT Martin, UT Chattanooga, this entire UT system had its own separate governing board, a board of trustees. The state system had its own separate governing board, the Board of Regents. That included schools like Tennessee State, Tennessee Technological University, um, Middle Tennessee State University. All of these schools were governed separately. Uh, however, UT began to make an incursion on Nashville. So they set up a campus downtown, which is now, as you said, one of the spaces where you walk the halls, the Avon Williams campus named after the great civil rights attorney. Uh, Rita Sanders at the time, who is now Rita Sanders Geyer, fi uh, filed a lawsuit against the state uh, and eventually won. And as my brother, Dr. Greg Carr, discusses a lot in law school and a legal precedent up at Howard University, uh, this set the tone for the future because this is the first time that a black school absorbed a white school. Uh, you couldn't have these schools in proximity of each other, both supported by the state. This happened uh, late 80, early 80s, the fight began. Students began the fight. Community members began the fight. My brother, when he was SGA president, 1986, 87, uh, led the fight. When I was SGA president, 1989, 90, the fight had been resolved with the stipulation of settlement, which basically allowed Tennessee State to continue to exist. Uh, and shoot for targets for providing minority scholarships, which basically in this in this case, an HBCU was attracting more white people. However, the funding for Tennessee State was still unequal. So while 
Gus Macedo, while Fred Jackson, while Georgette Peake, while Dr. Greg Carr eventually, while they as SGA presidents had a fight to make sure that they could hold on to the school and not have it absorbed by UT Nashville. By the time the reins were passed to me, we were waiting to get what was promised to us from the courts uh, and from the state of Tennessee. It did not happen. Uh, we staged a massive sit-in in the spring of 1990 uh, that forced the state of Tennessee to spend over $100 million on the campus. So uh, the new campus center uh, that you all were walking in in 05, the, uh, the music building, the performing arts center, the administration building, the new plaza, all of that came out of that student protest movement. And there was a long tradition of students saying the buck stops here. Uh, I hope that students will continue to pick up that tradition and move it forward. But it also is a tradition of community members, of legislators, of uh, ministers, of teachers in Metro, everybody coming together and saying, we're going to stand for the health of this institution. I think we're in the midst of that kind of uprising happening again on some level, at least I hope, because after a few years, every few years, we discover that if we don't stay on top of it, uh, we are definitely going to see history repeat itself. Uh, two weeks ago, I was on the cover of the Chronicle of Higher Education, and the article is about Tennessee State as a land-grant institution and the recent discovery that it has been owed. The, the bill, the tally now is over $500 million. So half a million dollars that the state has been holding back simply because nobody pointed out that they owed it to the school. Now they're talking about how to make reparation for it. But it is a clarion call to everybody that we need to be in a space to always be mindful that if we don't stay on top of it, nobody else will. And Reverend Jones, I'm going to bang the drum for that because, you know, that's my university. Uh, yes, I was on campus with my mother. When you was the president, my mother went to graduate in 91 from there. So, oh, yeah. okay. so, so I was a young baby in the in the library. Yes, sir. Yes, <laughs> with my sir. mother at Tennessee State, so I was destined to go there because, yes, as a young man in the YPD program, the YSP programs, basketball camps, Frankie Allen, LC Cole, yeah. all of them, I was at camp. So that's why I, I see you probably saw me as a, a young man on campus. Probably yeah, you grew up there, man. You grew up there. Everybody, that was that was how it was back at Tennessee State, though. All the administrators, the professors. Uh, everybody there, an employee staff, everybody brought their kids. They put their kids in the programs there, and they were part of the campus family as well. So that's why I knew. That's why I, I didn't want to go anywhere else but TSU, because that was all I knew as a child with Tennessee State University. And so <laughs> I, I love that place. I wanted to prosper. I'm going to bang the drum and use this show that I've worked so hard to get for the last 10 years of radio, doing it my way, Reverend Jeff. It's Nobody good. controls JR show. I love it. Every love dime it. goes to Jr. <laughs> yes, sir. That's why you're the boss man. That's why I, I that's why I gotta get I gotta get with you on a consultant tip and learn how to do that. But my, my wife and, and Infinity and everybody there has just been you gotta get your show up, you gotta get your space up, you gotta do your podcast, you gotta do your request. I said, I'm gonna get to that right now. I'm gonna make sure that everybody's healthy. If you wanna do it on my show, you can, Reverend Jeff. You wanna do <laughs> use my platform to do it, I will do it for you. Yo, know, I got all these followers, I'll tweet it out, push it out for you, Reverend Jeff. You wanna Partner up, I will do it for you, man. I'll be okay. your host. I'll do it. I'm serious. I will. <laughs> we'll put something together, man. We'll bring some of that spiritual energy there. We will have to rap about it, brother. But I do want to congratulate you because, again, man, everything is about ownership. And, and I know that we share 
an appreciation for a young lady who uh, was tormented as a child, who was abused as a teenager, uh, who was counted out as a college student until she won uh, misfire prevention and found refuge backstage in what we used to call the A building. You probably call it the humanities building. And she found a great professor there named W. Dury Cox who helped her know who she was, uh, brought her up in a space where she was confident about her speech and her work, uh, ushered her into a job uh, working part-time at the historic WVOL radio station right down the street from Infinity on a White's Creek Pipe. Uh, that space led her to a space uh, in, as a reporter at Channel 5. Uh, that led her to a space in, as a small talk show host in the city of Chicago, a space where she got so emotionally involved that news people criticized her, but she continued to make her way. And that person ended up being Oprah Winfrey. And if there's no other model uh, for ownership is Oprah. Oprah, people used to say, why she have her picture on her own magazine? Uh, why does she have that? Because she's Oprah and it's her magazine and she can do what she wants. When you have ownership and when you take ownership, you put yourself in a space where nobody can be your boss. That's why you are the boss man. And it's important uh, for young people. It's important for my kids. I have five children. It's important for them to see people like you uh, people like uh, my, my brother, Dr. Carr, the other people who are standing out here and taking control of the me media platforms, Roland Martin, Karen Hunter, you could call them all off, who are saying, we're going to establish ourselves so that we can tell our stories and nobody can pull the plug. When you reach that level of, of, in, of empowerment, you are saying to the next generation, this is now the standard for you. You're no longer begging. You're no longer knocking on the door. You're no longer waiting for somebody to tell your story. You are putting yourself squarely in a space where you are taking control of your own life and your own purpose. So I salute you for doing that. And I tell you to keep on doing it, man. We're going to be sending your energy anywhere we can. Uh, and thanks for setting the tone for that and walking in that. Never let anybody deter you otherwise. No doubt, Reverend Jeff, and I sure will. I want to work with you and help you out when I'm on the off the rope for Atlanta Hawks. I will come and help speak at, speak at the fellowship with you, man. Talk talk to your all your people and members of your fellowship because I want them to understand. Hey, I did it. You can. So it's all about hard work and dedication. I've had a lot of no's, but I never let them deter me those no's because I know I had a, I, have, I have quality, I have content, and I bring something to the table. And, I, and, and I'm myself. I'm not nobody else. It's going to be JR. I can't be nobody else but JR. I'm going to do a JR's way with JR's flair and style and, and love life and do it with a smile on my face. That's right, man. They, there's a saying we use here at Infinity. I don't know who said it years ago, but it's an old folk saying. And it says, be yourself because everybody else is already taken. You got that right. <laughs> Reverend Jeff, I thank you for your time today on this great Friday. I hope to see you real soon when I come to town, man. And I'll tell your wife, I know I've, I've met her a few times as well, Tell I said hello again. And tell your brother, Dr. Greg Carl, I, got, I want him on the show too. I love that brother, man. Yeah. I learn so much from him every Saturday. Tell, let him know I learned from every Saturday. I learned something new from every Saturday. On the, awesome. With Karen Hunt in narrative, I love it, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Well, thank you, man, brother. We're sending you blessings and light. Uh, we look forward to seeing you online, and we look forward to seeing you in person one day. Keep up the good work. We'll do, we'll do, Reverend Jeff. You be safe, man. Blessings. All right.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.